Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California. I am about 90% alive now after now eight weeks, a couple months of uh, COVID, or I should say post-COVID diagnosis. It has taken me forever to uh, get better. I still have a little bit of a cough, but I've even started hiking. Uh, my lungs hurt when I do it, but I think uh, the fact that I can do it is a very good sign that I am almost there, almost recovered. And so thank you for your support on that. This was a hell of a disease, and I'll tell you, it is one that I uh, don't wish on any of you, so please take it seriously. It is amazing to me how many people still don't, and I even saw some, you know, on my Facebook, uh, I have a bunch of people I don't know because I always say yes when people, or I used to always say yes when people would ask to be, uh, to friend me. Uh, I don't do that anymore unless I know you uh, or you're in my group or something, but um but I have all these people in there and there's one guy who is like, I don't know. And he just says, COVID is fake. You know, who wants to debate me? And I'm like, Oh God, are you serious? This thing almost, you know, damn, it's killed all these people and people uh, that, you know, that I know that uh, almost took me out. Maybe I'm being a little dramatic. I didn't almost take me out, but it really beat the crap out of me. It's real. So anyway, no limits to stupidity there. But at any rate, uh, I just, unfriended that person because it's just not even worth those kinds of arguments when somebody just says something's fake and it's obviously not so anyway let's talk about today's show today's show is about investing in dallas but investing in general i have to tell you it is no joke it's a hard hard thing and the funny thing is that it's hard for a lot of reasons. It's hard because you have to know what you're doing, which is the technical aspect. But it's also hard because you have to be tough psychologically and sometimes do things that seem counterintuitive to your own emotions. And that is a very difficult thing to do. I mean, think about it this way, right? The smartest thing you could do, really, if you just look at over a long period of time, is look around you and say, what's for sale? What is getting the the bleep kicked out of it right this minute and go buy a bunch of that and sit on it until it's not getting kicked anymore? And, you know, it's hard to do that, right? It really is because who wants to buy, you know, a bunch of stuff that's not exciting, that looks like it's dead, 
Uh, but a lot of times that's just the way it, it, you know, investing is done best. I mean, believe me, I am not immune to the psychological miscues involved in this space. Um, and I'll tell you that at one point, not anymore for sure, I don't, uh, I owned about a hundred Bitcoin. Now during crypto winter, I, you know, decided I'd use that money, needed some money to, for some other stuff I was doing and sold most of it off. Uh, at a tenth of what it is worth today. And I really did sell majority of it. I kept, you know, uh, maybe, I don't even know if I kept any at the time. I have a few now, but I, I didn't have, I nowhere near do I have a hundred, which I've been happy to. But, you know, if you recall, I mean, here I am telling you that, you know, Bitcoin is going to go up and it's going to be, you know, it's going to hit big numbers someday. So why did I in turn not go and buy a bunch of it if I truly believe that, which I did? Well, it's because, well, my psychology was not letting me do that, right? You know, a, a few months back, I could have easily have gone back and and, and bought back that 100 Bitcoin before uh, it 10 x from where it was, and it wouldn't have been a huge expense. It would have been something I felt like, wow, you know, paying a half million bucks for something seems like a a lot, but you know, I could have done that. Uh, but crypto winner took my mind off of what was, you know, obviously, in my opinion, on sale. And when I say obviously, I knew, I really knew that it was going to go up and that it was going to go past all time highs to the point where I literally just won a bet with someone from a year ago. Uh, that Bitcoin would hit 50,000 over the course of the, uh, you know, I think it was by the end of 2021. And here I, here we are today, Bitcoin's about 54,000. So, uh, by the way, I believe within the next, I'd say four years, Bitcoin goes to 250,000. I really believe that. And that's another show. And uh, I'll have a Bitcoin expert on the show fairly soon. We'll talk about that more uh, details. So if I believed that, you know, sitting on five or $6,000 Bitcoin, and I made a bet that it would hit 50,000 by the end of 2021, why didn't I listen to what I clearly felt intellectually was going to happen? And the answer to that is, well, it's kind of fear, right? I wouldn't call it fear, but almost a psychological laziness because I was not driven to do that um, by, you know, some, some kind of other energy, you know, fear is a tricky thing. Uh, and it's the major driver of investors losing money. And I'm not just talking about fear of investing in something when something is getting crushed, like Bitcoin was back, you know, during crypto winter. I'm also talking about the opposite of that, you know, the old fear of missing out the thing that they called FOMO. Now, FOMO itself is complicated too. You know, there's a cryptocurrency right now that some of you know called Dogecoin. It's basically like spelled like doggy coin and it recently skyrocketed. The problem is that there's nothing really behind Dogecoin. It's not a storage of value like Bitcoin. It isn't a project like Ethereum that has tremendous applications in software development, it's kind of, well, it's kind of a joke. It's a joke even within the crypto community and people know it, but it's still going up way in value. Yet people have been buying it because it's gone up so much in price. 
And that, in my opinion, is what I would call bad FOMO. It's bad FOMO because eventually, you know, you, you'd be missing out on these profits, but eventually, you know, the floor is going to drop on Dogecoin and people are going to sell and it becomes then a game of magical crypto chairs and whoever's left holding the sack at that point, well, you lose. Now, another scenario that often kills investors is feeling that something has gotten too expensive despite the clear vision that it has not. I mean, I think you could argue that the case for Bitcoin right now is that, right? You're sitting at 50,000, 50,000 plus Bitcoin. But like me, I'm saying Bitcoin goes to 250,000 at some point. If I truly believe that I should continue to buy, right? So that's psychology. What's behind that? Well, let's let's go back on another example. So on May 16th, 1997, Amazon stock sitting at $1.73. One year later, it's at it's over $7. Now, if you're paying attention at that time, you're probably looking at that, you know, price, the $7 price and thinking, well, the opportunity for making money from buying Amazon stock is gone, right? The 700% appreciation in one year just couldn't continue. So why put your money in something like that? Now, today, as I speak to you, Amazon is sitting around $3,278 per share. And people who understood the potential of Amazon early on did very, very well. And, you know, if they never sold that stock and it 10x'd over and over and over again, well, gosh, they did. They just absolutely crushed it, right? But for those of us who unfortunately did not get on the Amazon bus, we look at the price of stock today and think, man, that's pretty expensive. I'm not going to go buy that. And in my case, I'm really not going to go buy that because I just don't know enough about the potential upward trajectory of that company and that stock at this point. And I don't know if it's smart uh, for people like me to go jump on that bandwagon right now, because I really don't know what that looks like in the future. I don't know if, enough about Amazon. I don't know enough about growth potential and stock prices to understand that. Like I would say that I do know and believe about Bitcoin. So if I just went and bought Amazon stock right now, it would be FOMO, right? It would be fear of missing out because Amazon's gone to 3278 uh, here and, and it could go up. And that's to me, that's bad FOMO. It's bad FOMO not because I'm buying it, but because I don't know why I'm buying it. It just seems like it's a high price I should get on now. And that is bad FOMO even if Amazon continues to go up because it's not a good investment technique, right? So you see, the thing is that I still believe, I still believe that outside of some speculative plays, maybe you're doing some, you know, you're doing some crypto and you don't really understand crypto, but you know, you can make potentially a lot of money. Uh, as long as you know that, Real investing should be limited to the things that you really understand, the things that you really know. That's my opinion. And so for me, what I understand in the investing world, probably better than anything else, is multifamily real estate. You know, people have made a lot of money in multifamily real estate for a very long time. I grew up in a multifamily real estate family. That's what paid my bills. That's what made me an upper middle class kid, paid for college and med school. I know I know, I was a spoiled brat, right? But that's the truth. And in my family, obviously, uh, it's, you know, well, not obviously, but in my family, 
it's sort of, you know, a mistake to invest outside of real estate. Whenever my mom hears me talking about anything outside of real estate, she gets worried that I'm going to be losing money. So that's kind of funny, right? It's a total perspective thing. But anyway, for me, what I understand most is multifamily real estate. And like I said, people have made a lot of money in multifamily real estate for a very long time. And if you look in the past two decades where most of us, uh, you know, probably the majority of our adult lives as investors at least have been in, no market has more winners than those in, in the market of Dallas-Fort Worth. Now, the question is, going back to the whole topic of, you know, is it too late and fear of missing out and all that stuff? The question is whether or not that trend continues. Does Dallas still continue to be a big winner? And for me, knowing what I know, it's an obvious yes. I believe, I believe that Dallas Fort Worth will continue to be an incredibly profitable market for investors over the course of this decade, going deep into this decade. And based on that, I'm going to continue to invest heavily in working class apartment buildings in Dallas like I do now, like those of you who are in Investor Club are doing with me in the Accredited Investor Club. And I'm going to continue to do that for the foreseeable future, even though today the DFW market is more expensive than it was five years ago. It's more expensive than it was a year ago. But you see, like Amazon in the year 2000, Dallas is you know, way more expensive than it was then. However, as a guy who understands what drives prices, unlike Amazon, I don't know what drives that price You know, to go from 3,800 to 6,800 if it does. Unlike that case, in real estate, I can see the clear path in Dallas with apartment buildings and the working class space to continued growth. And as a result, an increase in asset values and profit for investors in, in real estate in that market. To me, Dallas, in fact, is the single best risk-adjusted market for multifamily real estate in the country. And, and I would say in my mind, and or as you know, simple as that is, I believe that investing in working class apartment buildings in Dallas is the single best risk adjusted investment that you can make today. Again, it's my opinion. I'm not giving you any advice on it. But to me, the mixture of stability and profitability from the growth, it's really hard to beat. It's really, really hard to beat. So, of course, I'm talking about Dallas as Dallas is getting absolutely hammered from weather. So a week of terrible weather. And knowing that, I've been talking to my business partner, one of my business partners in Dallas, Dante Andrade, who most of you know through my partnership with Turo, talking to Dante quite a bit about our properties. And I decided, hey, I'm going to talk to Dante, get him back on the podcast and talk about what it is about Dallas that we love. Because I think it's easy to look at times when, you know, there's a lot of snow and there's ice and all this stuff. And this is the time when people potentially get scared of stuff, right? This is not, this is not the time to get scared because we don't invest for what happened last week. We invest for what's happening in the next three to four years. And Dallas, in my opinion, again, single best investment I know of is multifamily real estate, working class, Dallas-Fort Worth in the right hands. So to talk about that in more depth, when we come back, Dante Andrade. 
But do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, today, my guest on Well Formula Podcast. Well, he's my guest. Uh, he's also uh, one of my business partners is Dante Andrade. Dante is partners with me in our company, Turo, which is multifamily down in Dallas. And so I thought it would be a good time to get him on the show and uh, talk a little bit about Dallas, especially with what's going on down there right now. Dante, welcome back. Thank you, Buck. Excited to be here and to talk to you and to listeners again about, you know, multifamily in Dallas. Yeah, well, before we start, I wanted to kind of get an update. For those of us who don't live in Texas, what the heck happened down there? I mean, you know, we're used to hearing about, you know, some hurricanes in Houston and that kind of thing. But Dallas, what what happened? Well, that's new. Well, not, not that new. It happens about every 10 years. And, uh, you know, we got a deep freeze this week, some historical level for several days straight without getting above freezing. And we were not ready. I mean, we were ready for, you know, the over 100 days in Texas, I mean, in the summer, but not for winter, not for this kind of, uh, you know, and the power grid just did not sustain. uh, And it's been a mess. We still have 146,000 people uh, without power mm-hmm. since Monday evening. Mm-hmm. So it, that number went down from 4 million to 146 now, 1,000. So it, it's looking much better. And so far in uh, part of why you're, you know, we've got you on the show today is you and I have been connecting about our uh, property down there. But it sounds like overall, at least, uh, not too much damage going on there. A few pipes, that kind of our thing. Our properties, yeah, our properties fared uh, well. You know, one of them, Sedona, uh we never lost power. So, you know, and this was really frustrating for most of uh, Texans is that it was not evenly spread. So they said it was going to be rolling blackouts like you do over there in California. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't the case. Some people lost power. They still don't have it. Uh, You know, and politicians are blaming Mm -hmm. each other. Uh, You know, no one, you know, there are different reasons uh, behind it, but uh, Sedona Ranch never lost power. Uh, Tierra del Sol did lose power on and off, and we've had, uh, as of last night, about 15 
broken pipes, but we're addressing those in-house. We have an amazing maintenance crew in-house and we've been able to address those. Some of my other properties didn't fare as well. We have issues with boilers and uh, you know tons of units that have been flooded. Uh, but we're dealing, you know, everybody's in the same boat. Uh, some of the newer properties, uh, some that I'm invested in, uh, had issues with the fire sprinklers bursting oh, and wow. just spreading <laughs> snow and ice and water everywhere. So it's it, it's been it's been messy and uh, and I think it's gonna take some time to clean up. Uh, and I'm you know I'm afraid there will be some long term repercussions also because of this. What so. kind of repercussions are you talking about? Really, with insurance, uh, you know, a lot of the large commercial properties, like we're not going to be filing claims on ours, just, you know, we're fixing everything in-house, yeah. but yeah. Uh, there is a lot of damage. I just got video today from uh, SMU, the uh, Southern Methodist University here, uh -huh. uh, with a full dorm, three stories, completely flooded, water coming out of the windows, the stairs look like a waterfall. So lots of insurance claim. Texas have already been... It's been challenging to do insurance in Texas over the past few years, given the hurricanes we've had in Houston in the Gulf Coast, you know, in the past few years. Uh, and now we have another added, you know, issue. So those, whenever we're about to start getting a break on the insurance prices, uh, we got something else that I'm sure it's not, you know, it's going to stay with us and uh, on the pricing of insurance here for the next two or three years. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because one of the things that I actually like about Dallas um, is it's not generally a place where we have the, you know, crazy golf weather and, and, and you know, I don't mean golf like playing golf, but like the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like the, it's not like the, you know, like Carolinas or Florida and all that. And so this is unusual and, uh, you know, but hey, it can happen anywhere, right? I mean, listen, we... Uh, Pretty much anyone who is, uh, you know, living, uh, you know, in the United States or pretty much anywhere, you get these occasional uh, wow factor type uh, climate things. And, uh, you know, we might be having them uh, potentially a little bit more, but I don't think anybody's really immune to any kind of stuff like that anymore. Well, that's true. And I think <laughs> we're going to be better prepared. You know, I mean, everything that's happening now happened in 2011. Uh, and now, and, you know, the politics just said, chains are going to be made. This will never happen again. And unfortunately, it happened again. Well, you know, uh, Senator Cruz was ready for it because he apparently was uh, on a plane to Cancun. So he was ready for it. Uh, so I, I wanted to do the same, and I, my plan was to drain my house from any water, go to Mexico last weekend, uh, but my girlfriend had to uh, be in the office this week, which ended up not going yeah. any day, so uh, we cannot go. Uh, but I'm not a politician. It's okay if I live, you know, in the middle of a crisis <laughs> and go somewhere tropical. Uh, not, 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 not probably the best judgment uh, Senator Cruz had. He did not. I don't know. I guess he didn't see this coming, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, would not wish to be on his shoes right oh, now. Oh, what a, what a wonderful move by that guy. It's so funny. Anyway. He's um, back, though. He's back. He came yeah. back. You know, he came, so he just I'm, he I'm flew sure. there and came back the next day. Yeah. So he's here. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and I, I don't want to talk. Yeah, I don't want to get to, uh, I don't want to get the political part of this. That's when I get myself uh, in trouble and get mean emails and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, but let's, let's talk about Dallas again, because, you know, the bottom line is that regardless of what's going on today and this week, everybody 
in uh, real estate is massively, massively bullish on Dallas. And I want you to answer the question, why? Why? Because, you know, specifically, you see this because now everybody and their mother, you, we were talking about this before, REITs that were never involved with this space, they're all trying to buy up Dallas. Tell me why. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's an answer that has multiple answers, uh, but I'll start with just the business climate. So Texas overall has a very pro-business climate, uh, has a great airport, you know, that's you can get direct flights pretty much anywhere in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. and internationally also. So that in as, as things are changing, people are being able to work from home, you know, they're wanting to skip the Minnesota, the, the cold that your parents are dealing with right now, mm-hmm. back in, you know, up in Minnesota mm-hmm. and say, hey, I could just work from somewhere more warm, you know, and where the cost of living, it's a fraction. Uh, so a lot of people migrating here from New York, from California, from the East Coast and the West Coast, from Oregon, from Seattle, you know, and as those places have trouble dealing, you know, have more restrictive laws and covenants for business, uh, you know, Texas and Florida are two places that are welcoming. I mean, the whole South in general, and now having kind of same growth in Georgia um, in Florida, but just Texas, usually we're not having a lot of uh, weather crisis, especially if you come to Dallas, it's pretty isolated. You know, we don't have hurricanes go through here, just a tornado once in a while. Um, and and just the, the business climate, we have a lot of uh, uh, smart people around us, a lot of colleges, they have been over the you know past two decades, making a big push for science and technology and increasing those colleges. So we have a lot of uh, People in those colleges coming from overseas also, and they just stay. Once they finish their degrees, you know, they're able to land jobs. And the biggest one is the job growth. So the Federal Reserve uh, just published, you know, uh, research here numbers uh, a couple weeks ago, saying that they expect and they're you know, projecting 4.2% employment employment growth in Dallas. This, I mean, that equals 518,000 jobs. So mm-hmm. a creation of new, more than a half a million new jobs being created uh, for for Texas. And in 21? In 2021, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and if you look what happened last year during COVID, nationally, we lost about 62% of the jobs that went away. Texas only lost 4.5%. So we already lost much less than the rest of the country if you compare to the national average. And then we're gaining back at a very fast speed. So if you just compare those two numbers, uh, we lost four and a half and now we're going to grow by 4.2. You know, we're pretty much breaking even here by the end of 2021. uh, And the growth is just going to continue. I mean, we have massive. I mean, I could go on for the rest of the podcast listing the number of corporations that are moving to Texas or they are moving, you know, huge piece of, uh, you know, their business to Texas. And here's another factor. Texas is willing to play ball with this company. So Walmart, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and this was secret for several months. You know, there's a big corporation coming now. We, we learn it's Walmart. It's building a massive, massive distribution center uh, in the south part of Dallas near DeSoto. And it's going to create 13, uh, 1,300 new jobs 
And it's a multi-billion dollar investment because it's all refrigerated. Uh, but they negotiated. They took a long time negotiating with the city and the county on tax abatement. So they're not going to pay property taxes for some good 10 years. Right. And then the city negotiated the city still, you know, still going to make a lot of money off of it. But at least they don't pay property taxes for, you know, I believe at least 10 years. And it kind of phases in, you know, after that. So a lot of these uh, big corporations have been able to successfully negotiate with the politicians and the cities. They are fighting with each other to have these companies come here. I mean, that's just, you know, more, more money in the pocket of the shareholders. So that's that's another bit. And the cost of living, like I said, it's, a, it's an answer that keeps on, on going, but cost of living is still very affordable. You still can come down here. Of you know, Of course, if you live here, you know, and, and that's something else that we can talk about it. If you live here and you've been, I've been here 20 years, going on 21 years uh, this year. Uh, so, yeah, I've seen the prices go up and up and up. Like my house is now more than double, you know, what I bought it for about eight years ago. Now, if you're coming from Chicago or from California, everything sounds like it's free. Like you don't care about, you know, yeah. the prices that were 10 years ago. And the same is happening multifamily. Uh, we have all these large operators from the East Coast and West Coast uh, that just now, hey, we got to be in dollars. And they're looking at the prices, the same apartment that we are paying 100000 a unit here. You know, that same unit in Chicago would cost 180 mm-hmm. and it would cost 250 in California. So they're saying, hey, we can bring it here. There is employment, there is job, people are paying rent. And if they're not paying rent, also the laws help me evict them. So, you know, it, it's a win-win all around. And that's why we're having such a big influx of uh, new capital and new investors chasing Texas, specifically Dallas Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tricky thing for people to understand, right? Because if you go back to uh, 1990s, even early 2000, Dallas, for the most part, was looked at and was really a tertiary market, right? I mean, it was spoken in the, in the same breath as you would say something about, like, say, Oklahoma City or something like that, because maybe it was a little bit more advanced than that, but it really wasn't. But so what's happened is, is tremendous growth, and the tremendous growth, as you have, uh, you know, talked about, really relates to uh, jobs, because of the great business climate and then people following it and then the increasingly difficult business climate and you know higher cost of living in major cities uh in you know like in California or like you said in you know uh New York or Chicago whatever it's driving people to Texas and you're seeing that even in the demographic changes right i mean Beto O'Rourke almost um uh uh, beating a, a Cancun cruise over there last uh, last round uh, that would never have happened, you know, Correct. ten years ago. But you're seeing a lot of people move over there. So the question ends up being, well, gosh, if there's been so much growth, how long can it go? I mean, how much runway is there? And this is a really, really important question because. People often guess wrong in these situations and for the wrong reasons, and they regret it. To give you an example, when, you know, Apple was at $5 or $10 or Amazon was at 5 or $10, and all of a sudden it went to 100 how many people said, gosh, that's at 100 bucks now? I already missed that. I already missed that. Well, 
I think Dallas is a similar story. And perhaps you could shed a little bit of statistics on this for me, Dante, in that the growth is not leveling off. The growth is is massive. And it's, you know, statistically, you could see that. A hundred percent. And then, you know, if you look at the historical average, you know, rents in dollars, and this is going back, you know, 20, 30 years, rents have, you know, have been growing year over year about 1.8%. This past year, the rents were still growing uh, almost 1%. 0.9% is the exact number average across DFW. Now, imagine that most of the country were not having rent growth. We're actually not having major issues with collections and we're having major issues with actually, you know, concessions. And actually Mm -hmm. we have negative, you know, uh, uh, rent increases. So people are actually keeping the same if they're renewing or they're giving concessions. So rents are actually decreasing. uh, And that's happening in many areas of the country. That's happening right now in in New York in so many aspects, not only multifamily, but in retail and industrial and everything else. And we still experience, you know, almost 1% year over year rent mm-hmm. growth during the most challenging year uh, since I've been in business, uh, you know, and probably of several decades, you know, with the exception mm-hmm. of the downturn in 2008. But this was a very challenging year. But and we still had, you know, rent growth. So I don't think it's stopping anytime well, soon. To your point, here's the thing. When you and you mentioned it, you know, two or three times, and I think it, it I'll say it again. The reason is that you're sounding, you're starting at a metric that's very low compared to the rest of the country. So your cost of living is still extremely low compared to everywhere else. So you can continue to grow. You know, you can continue to grow. You have a lot of runway. You know, it's not like Dallas doesn't have a reason to grow, right? I mean, that's part of the issue that I think that a lot of tertiary markets have. Every time there's a big boom and uh you know in real estate you and you know you and i talked about this a year or two ago where we were you know you we, we'd uh, contemplated the idea of oklahoma city and i i was very much against it because my thought was hey you know this market is only uh only interesting because other markets are getting hot right when when things kind of cool down a little bit it sort of becomes one of those situations where, you know, the tide goes down and you can actually see who's swimming naked. And Dallas is not swimming naked, right? Dallas has got all of the components, the mass growth and components to make this continue happen. Totally. Yeah, that is uh, correct. And then you also have the backing from the politicians and the governments putting the infrastructure in place. So it's not like we're having this massive growth. Of course, this is a tough week to talk about it now with what happened with the electricity. Uh, but, you know, roads, highways, I mean, Dallas has been a construction site from the day I moved here 20 years ago and it has not stopped. But toll roads, highways, reaching out to different places of the metroplex and expanding and continues to expand. They're not stopping, uh, you know, just infrastructures with uh, with uh, schools and parks and streets and highways and everything is in place to accommodate the people, you know, moving here. Uh, So I don't think it's stopping anytime soon. I think we're going to have massive growth here 2021, 2022, 2023. I think towards after 2023, 2024, 
depending just for real estate growth itself, not overall, depending on how much new construction we do, which we're doing a lot of it right now, it may get caught up with us. Mm-hmm. You know, the absorption of new units and how many is being delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year was, I think, believe the first year that we had a negative absorption number. And, you know, and this is mostly on A class because we're not building anything affordable. It's all high end, high rises, right. you know, uh, upper class, uh, you know, kind of very urban walking area, mixed use, a multifamily. So we had a very small negative absorption on that, but which I think it's already being taken care of this year. Uh, and last year, a lot of projects kind of paused on construction. So that's giving a lot of the lending for construction, the mezzanine loans and bridge loans went away, you know, during that COVID when everybody was scared. So that put, you know, scratch off a lot of uh, construction projects off. They're coming back now, you know, but it takes time, you know, something that was off the table last year. Now it's going to take, you know, 18 months to get approvals and to get things going. If someone decides to build now, they cannot break ground until 12 to 18 months from now. So that's what I'm saying. 2024 is probably, you know, and this is something to reassess, right? I'm just trying to read into the future, something to reassess a few years from now. Uh, But if we continue having the growth on employment, and, you know, migration that we're having here, which I strongly believe we will, uh, you know, just all the time. I'm just talking on the phone with clients. You know, as your listeners know, I do a lot of brokerage on the multifamily space, on the representing buyers. And all the time I have clients from California. I just spoke with someone yesterday. They were looking at a property. who's like, you know, we just made a decision this week. Mm-hmm. Me and my family, we're going to be moving there, you know, within the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. So this happens almost like a weekly conversation that I hear from people from all over the, uh, uh, you know, all over the country. I don't think that growth is going to stop. I can give you one example, uh, Schwab, you know, who just combined with TD Ameritrade. They had about 400 employees in Dallas. They're building a massive center last year that's going to house 7,000 employees. So me from 400 to 7,000, they're not doing this overnight. They're doing this over the next three years. Uh, you know, and many other corporations are following suit in along that same path. So, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I would just, I would just point to that some of these things that you're talking about when it comes to new construction and that kind of thing, we have, you know, at least in terms of what you and I tend to do and what we tend to do in an investor club in general with multifamily is, we're not really competing with that new construction, right? Where we're we're competing is affordable housing. And, you know, we're not talking about trailer homes. We're talking about, you know, B, uh, B minus C plus class stuff, blue collar stuff, which in fact, the demand should continue to go up, you know, as more and more places become sort of, um, you know, increasingly difficult because they become, uh, you know, urbanized, the hipsters start coming in and they become, you know, harder and less uh, uh, affordable. Correct. So just to give an example, the rents on our properties, they're probably about $1.30 a square feet, you know, that, you mm-hmm. know, overall across all the properties in the, the different size of units, these new constructions deals that I'm talking about, they're coming to the market at 250 and above 270 sometimes even pushing to get to three dollars a square feet you know if this the really high-end high-rise so there is a massive gap it's more than double the price of the rent for the same space and you know you're completely walking with a different demographic altogether right so totally different demographic totally different market and so that brings us to 
you know, is now a good time to buy and why uh, in Dallas? It is a very good time. Well, let's, let's be specific, right? Yeah. Uh, to buy affordable housing in Dallas. Because I'm not so sure that, you know, a construction project, from what you're saying, is, is makes sense. Right, but well, it's even even construction. Uh, it I, I think it's still making sense, and a mm-hmm. lot of uh, colleagues of mine they are in this space. Only multi, uh, you know, uh, affordable housing. They are getting to the construction space and have several projects going, and you know they feel very confident about it because the growth is not going to stop, right? So everybody is betting that there will be absorption from all of these. But going back to the affordable side of the things. 100%. It's a great time to be buying. It's not a buyer's market, though, and that's what no. makes it challenging. Right? Right. And I go back I go back and look you know, at all the opportunities that I let pass in 2015, 16, <laughs> 17, uh, and I, I know you take joy of uh, uh, reminding me of no, that. Well, I don't that. take joy in it because oh, I'm you your, joy. I mean, I, I'm your you business can... partner. I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm losing, you know, I lost a lot of money because <laughs> of that. The, of those uh, overly overly conservative uh, uh, you know views on on what was happening, but but you know, but hey, listen. At the end of the day, it it also uh, you know it kept everybody safe either way. But you know, uh, listen. I I think that the point that I would make is that yeah, there's a lot of buyers right now, but this is, in my opinion, not is not going to. It's, it's going to get worse. It's not getting any better anytime soon. And so the question is on the timing is like, you know, with, with real estate, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about 2015 and 2016, wishing you'd bought, right? Right now, it's another situation where I think a lot of people are going to wish they weren't sitting on the sideline because all of those predictions, you know, that uh, people were making about this massive sell-off and, you know, zombie apocalypse and, you know, buying buildings in Dallas and the rest of the country for pennies on the dollar didn't really happen. In fact, the opposite has happened. Exactly. The opposite has compressed. Yeah. Cap rates have compressed because interest rates have gone down. You're going to have inflationary pressures as well. Prices are going to continue to go up. So the bottom line is you pick the best market, you have big quality assets in those markets, and you try and then you and then you buy at a fair price. That's what you got to do right now. Yes. And the, you know, and just going back to what we talked about 15, 16, and, you know, and, and back then, and I feel like that was just the other day, right? And I'm looking at these numbers like, oh man, I'm, I'm overpaying for this property. As a property, I bought it for 37,000 a door, 1964 build, smaller in Arlington, and then sold, you know, a few years later for 70,000 a door. And now probably it would be worth 90,000 a door. So because I've been here and I've seen all that, you know, it's like, oh, this is the same property, you know, that was 37 just a few years ago. Someone coming from the outside does not have that, you know, preconceived, uh, you know, uh, mindset of uh, pricing. And they just look, OK, this makes sense. Now, if I remove that, if I remove the emotional part of it, which is challenging to do sometimes in business and investing, but, you know, successful investors 
try to leave emotions out of it. So if I remove the emotions out of it and thinking, oh, I, I cannot pay this much for it now. All right, have the rents increased? Yes, have the cap rates reduced? Yeah, so the, the rents at that property, when I sold, it was $750 average. Well, now it's $950, it's $970 for the same property. Well, right? and, so, and that's very important to remember because this, you know, the thing is that I think a lot of people think uh, that when they see these values going up, that it's like buying a single family house and that it's people just saying, hey, I would pay more for that now. No, that's not what this is. This is growth in net operating income. This is not just a matter of looking at places saying, hey, this is a, a pretty place and I'll pay more for it now than somebody else did 10 years ago. There is reason for those prices to go up. Those reasons for prices go up have to do with rent growth, net operating income growth, and lower interest rates. It is so it's real. Yep. It is real and there is really no other place where you can still park your money relatively safe and get the kind of returns that you get in multifamily. And that's another reason that we're having such an influx of buyers. So a lot of people just talking to a broker, a local broker here yesterday that does a ton of business. And they said, man, I have so many new groups pursuing my properties now. A lot of people from hotels, retail. And when we talked on the podcast last year, you know, I mentioned that you, we're going to have an influx of hotel operators and investors mm -hmm. flooding multifamily. Uh, and, they are here now. You know, he said, and I have full hotel groups. You know, the hotel investment, hotel development business is, is dead right now. No one is banking. No one is raising money for hotels. So they all shift into multifamily. People from the office, from the retail space also shift into multifamily because that money, they're sitting on money. It's got to go somewhere. You know, where, where, which asset is still relatively safe, actually fared really well during this whole uh, COVID recession, and it's still, you know, paying dividends, and well, it's in the multifamily. And the reason, as you as you mentioned, I mean, first of all, those hotel operators, the funny thing is that if, if you know, the, the way investing works, yeah, now would probably be the time to pick up some hotels by, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're getting crushed. But I think what you have pointed out is what I think the reality that has hit a lot of real estate investors that were in different niches, like, you know, the hotel and the retail and, and office spaces that all, you know, they, they all got beat up pretty badly. But even through, uh, uh, you know, COVID, um, you know, we, we didn't do badly at all, Right. Talk about that because this is apparently our stress test, right? This is about as bad as it gets. What happened, you know, with uh, with our properties? And give us a sense of what happened. And uh, in if you could look at it and say, well, this is basically sort of as bad as it probably gets. You know, really, the the, the worst that it happened it was just perception back in March thinking that no one was going to pay rent, right, in April when everything shut down, and then losing several nights of sleep thinking, okay, well, I, I'm done because no one's going to pay rent, and, you know, I'm all my, you know, I would say 80% of my net worth is all in multifamily spread across, you know, the, 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 the South, and most of it in Texas. So that was the worst of it because that actually never came to fruition and never happened. Uh, collections have been doing just fine. You know, and uh, we've been collecting well, we've been cash flowing our properties and we pause distributions just to be on the safe side and to have, you know, cash 
you know, stole away just in case what we were afraid of actually happened. It never happened. We're back to doing distributions. We'll, you know, a, a couple of our properties we're doing distributions monthly now because everything has been uh, just playing according to the performer. So let's look at the, the national level. You know, if you keep comparing uh, collections in 2019 against 2020, uh, the drop was only about 1%, you know, through September. Now, after September, you know, that's when the biggest unemployment, uh, you know, cushion ran out. Uh, and then we can see an increase of uh, delinquency after September, October, November, December. That number, which was usually a 1% difference between where collections were in 2019, 1% lower for the same month in 2020. Now that number is about 2%. This past month, it's probably the highest it's been. It's been about 2.6%. So if you compare the rents of 2000. Um, uh, 2019 with the no January 2020. I'm sorry, with 2021, we're about 2.6 percent lower. Now that is a trend that I think it's gonna change, and, I, and I'm talking on a national perspective, right? It's very, very different each market specific. In Texas, we're actually having DFW actually having rent growth on those numbers. Now that was before we had 25 billion of federal assistance approved right, for utilities and rent. So mm -hmm. that's being worked out right now on how it's gonna be distributed. You know, for most of the year, uh, the government did not think about the landlords. It's all about protecting the tenants, putting some, the CDC putting some protection. You know, so anytime there was a eviction mor uh, moratorium coming up, that, that was challenging and that was, you know, scary. Uh, it never really, I mean, yeah, yeah, affected a few units, but m most people actually wanted to pay their rent. And if they could, they did, you know, very few situations. So I feel like that trend is now going to revert because of how much federal money is in place. We have a lot mm -hmm. of the states are also stepping in and say, all right, we got to step in here. If not, you know, we're not going to have housing. Uh, and I think the current administration is even going to do more uh, to help on that side. So if anything, I think we're going to have tremendous growth based on that, too. Got it. Well, listen, um, I, I guess the, the, the bottom line is that what we're looking at here is a market that has gone through stress tests, a market that's shown that it can handle, you know, recessionary uh, times, you know, took a few, took a, took a few on the chin, but it didn't, you know, it didn't knock out like a lot of the rest of the country. Um, it's still growing. It's going to grow like crazy over the next few years. And to me, when I look at Dallas, one of the things I like about it is Dallas is, you know, really, uh, the kind of market that has a unique element to it, which is growth, significant growth, but there's a level of stability to it too, Right. You don't look at Dallas. I don't look at Dallas necessarily like like some of the other markets out there that might be growing faster. You know, even 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 like a Houston, which you know Houston's done well for us for sure. But Houston has more risk at play. There may be a, an opportunity to buy, uh, you know, buy something that is uh, you know uh, lower than replacement cost and crank up those rents. We've seen that over and over again. But from a pure stability perspective, 
you know, job growth and an incredibly uh, diverse demographic, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, an incredibly diverse uh, workforce and industry force, uh, the, it's, it's really hard to beat. No, it really is. And, you know, and like I said, in the numbers, the projections keep showing that this is not going to stop anytime soon. Actually, there is no projection showing uh, slowing now, uh, you know, on the foreseeable uh, future. So uh, I, I, I'm very bullish still, even though the prices are sometimes hard to deal with. And, you know, and I'm uh, sometimes frustrated being outbid by REITs and, you know, uh, private equity that never looked in dollars and never looked at C-class 1970s build multifamily property before, you know, that was the, the space that I operated with the clients and now we're getting bid left and right uh, by those operators. So we're having to look at our business model and shift things to still remain competitive uh, because it's not like they're overpaying and they're failing. They're over, you know, in, in our eyes, sometimes they're overpaying, no, but they're succeeding, uh, you know, and they're being able to rent, keeping up with it, occupancy is keeping up with it. Our occupancy average and never really, in Dallas-Fort Worth, never really went below 93%. If you look across Dallas-Fort Worth, you know, and I mean, that's, we, I underwrite with 10%, you know, Maximum, so never, you know, never less than ten percent occupancy. It during COVID never hit less than ninety three percent. If you look at all the properties, and as you know, most of our properties have been doing, you know, ninety eight, ninety seven, you know, and and running like a performer. Right. Well, listen. Uh, bottom line is, you know, if you are looking at real estate in the next decade and you're not paying attention to Dallas, then you are missing the boat, Dante. When are when are we gonna have uh when are we gonna see some more action from from Turo man? Uh, <laughs> it's, people it's keep coming, asking keep me about it. I question. keep telling you, telling them my acquisition uh, partner is is uh, not finding anything yet. <laughs> Uh, we're finding we're just getting being outbid, you know? know. So you know what uh, we we take pride on delivering, you know. You know, constant and high returns to our investors, and it's and it's been tough. And yeah. you know, it may be this is something that we need to prepare the investors that probably the expectation of returns are going to be lower than the deals that we have done in the past, uh, just because of the amount. At of least the cash investors. on cash returns. Correct. The cash on cash return. It wouldn't. We, you know, we would not find anything like we've done in the past of getting ten percent plus. You know, getting double digit uh, in DFW. But you invest in a very strong market, a very stable market, like you said, uh, that has continued growth in population and employment. So, you know, where else can you go and get seven or eight percent cash on cash on your money? There is no other place to do that safely. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the trend that I see moving forward as we're looking, you know, and uh, at our business plan and how we operate is just, you know, the, the market has changed, has changed for the better, but has got a little more expensive and, you know, and that's uh, the price to pay to stay in the game. Yeah, but it will keep getting expensive. So anyway, Dante, I want to thank you again for being on Wealth Formula Podcast and we will uh, we'll have you again uh, probably in the next quarter to check in again. Sounds good, Buck. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Always great talking to you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you haven't figured it out yet, Dallas is indeed my favorite market to invest in. And multifamily real estate and working class is my favorite asset to invest in. So the combination of the two, 
Well, that's my favorite thing to do, invest in multifamily in Dallas. And that's what we do a lot of in our accredited investor group. If you're interested in joining and you are an accredited investor and you want to find out what's going on and, and learn about deal flow, make sure you go to uh, wealthformula.com, sign up for our accredited investor club, go through that uh, uh, that whole process, onboarding process of your accredited investor status. Anyway, I am uh, wishing those of you in Dallas-Fort Worth uh, the best. Uh, sorry this happened to you, but the good news is you live in a fantastic market and uh, you'll get through this. And if you own real estate out there, you're going to do really well in the next few years. Uh, looking forward to our next meetup too, which will probably be in Dallas uh, once COVID is over. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.